0: That series was based upon uh, the final chapters of the book of Matthew, and that, that had led us to the crucifixion, and then we celebrated Easter. And then, if you recall, we spent a few weeks, uh, prior to last week, we spent a few weeks just focused on the, the resurrection of Jesus and the incidents that were around the, the, his burial. And um, that brings us now to this, this new summer theme as well, because we're trying to intersect where we've been with, with where we want to go. And many of us are aware of the title, uh, Shine. Uh, we have a subtitle as well, Sharing Jesus Naturally. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But this whole idea of shine, what, 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 what are we trying to say? You know, obviously, there's the, the connection of summertime. It makes sense. There's, hopefully, the sun shines, right? Um, you never know. In San Francisco, summer, you know, especially where I on that side of the city. Anyway, I'm digressing truly now. But the fact is that, that we are called to be people who shine the light. Jesus said, let your light so shine, this is Matthew 5:16. let your light so shine before men, before people, they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The idea is that we are to shine our light. That he, so Jesus uses the metaphor, right? Shine your light in such a way that people are noticing the goodness or the quality of good works that characterizes our life and, in, and then drawn towards the, the, the goodness of the Lord, drawn towards the Father's heart so that there is a a rationale for goodness. And he says, let let my life penetrate your life in such a way that goodness flows out of that and then causes others to want to be drawn towards the Father. They will be glorify your Father who is in heaven. I mean, this is what Jesus was saying. And again, I think we understand the power of goodness and good works and how important it is to have um, a, a continually growth path in our life that we, you know, again, I think we understand that, that that there is a need for increased compassion in our hearts, that the way we treat other people, the way that we work through character issues in our own life, um, patterns of behavior that have been destructive that maybe we had passed down to us and we just fall back into them. Some of us might really struggle, for example, with a, a, a temper that is a product of anger. Others of us, may have, we may have drop-down patterns of, in which we communicate things that are very destructive in our word patterns. But the point is that increasingly Christ wants to work a transformative work in our lives so that we are looking more like Jesus than we were before, that more and more of what we do characterizes a real relationship with him. So that I think it's going to show up in the way we treat people, in the way we care for those who are less fortunate, the way in which we serve others, the way in which we conduct ourselves in the job place and in the marketplace, the way in which we engage our coworkers, especially when we've been wronged. All of these things uh, factor into our, our life, how we treat people we love, who we live, live with and, and our families. Do we honor those commitments? Do we, are we nurturing ourselves so that we can be a blessing to other people? All of those things have to do with good works that others may see the reality of Jesus. And again, I get that completely, that faith without works is empty and dead. None of us would argue that. We're called to do that. We are called to live a life of increasing goodness. However, having said that, It's also exceptionally important, and we're going to see this firsthand from the mouth of Christ, that we do not simply pursue only goodness and don't connect the dots to the idea of what's motivating motivating us to do it. In other words, I want to suggest that it's extraordinarily important that we also share the reality of our relationship with Jesus and who he is in ways that other people can hear it. That to simply say, well, you know, I'm just going to live try to be as good of a person as I can be and never, ever talk about Christ is something that is settling for far less. And again, I get it. There's a lot of pressure saying, just do that. Don't talk about him because you'll get put into a box. You'll get stuck into a narrative, not of your own making. And, and we've been wrestling. We've been talking about that. But it's really important that the people who, who love him, who claim to know him, um, are not ashamed To talk about the difference he can make in one's life. That maybe even now, more than ever, it's important for there to be sensible, honest, authentic telling of our story and the difference Christ has made. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so we're gonna talk about that. In Matthew's account now, what I'd like us to do is sort of drop back into where we were. We're gonna quickly cover the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and then his final words, which are gonna propel us into this summer theme and hopefully thinking about what it means to share our faith or to share a, share a story that is uh, such a difference-making story, this, this narrative, this account of Jesus. Now, let's talk about, let's just, you know, let's just read. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, that's verse one, Matthew 28. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were, went out to visit the tomb. By the way, that day, what a day that was. That was different than any other day in the history of this world. I, I, I don't, you know what? It's interesting because at the time, no one noticed. It seemed like nothing had changed. In fact, we know. this just dropped back 2,000 years. If we can put ourselves there, for one thing, people at that time, no one was even noticing what was going on with Jesus. It looked like that story had ended. But even there, think about this. when Jesus, When, when this moment happens, when the resurrection occurs, when Jesus breaks out of death into life, When that new day dawns, and it was a new day with all kinds of implications for the human race, it changes everything, the entire equation. Death is no longer the final word, life is. The cross is not the end, the empty tomb is. Everything about it changes everything at an intense dynamic. The world itself looked like nothing had changed. People went on that day as if they had gone on every day. People on other parts of the globe, which by the way, people didn't even know who existed where, did 't even know what that globe consisted of, didn't even couldn't tell, had no idea. but wherever they were, wherever people were, whatever they were doing, nothing seemed like it had changed. But everything had changed. The entire uh, history of the human race had been altered. It changed. It had begun to happen in a way at a spiritual level that no one really could have conceived. Yes, it's true. God had a people. He had raised up a people that had set up a system that anticipated the coming of Messiah. But that Messiah's coming, which looked like it had ended in in death, only had meaning if there was a a vindication of the the life that he had lived through resurrection. And so as as the apostle Paul would later say, if Christ is not risen, our faith is is in vain. Now that's important for us. Now when we watch what we're about to read, remember Matthew, he is just like drawing simple lines. This is not an intricate, detailed working. He's taking this like a, like a roughly hewn stone, and he's just putting pieces in there for us to... He, he describes the, the resurrection in such a simple, honest way, unembellished, no airbrush, simple. See it. Let's read it together. It says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, come, see where his body was lying. Again, the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but for them to see he was no longer there. And now I want you to go and quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. And remember what I have told you. And then the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. But as they went, look at this, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and, he, and they grasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. They were in Jerusalem. Jesus says, have them leave the city and go back to the place where it all began in the Galilee in the north. I will meet them there. Now, here's the thing. The resurrection of Christ is, is critical. Again, if all Jesus was was someone who died, uh, that's a nice story with a bad ending. All right? Just the bottom line. A good man who said some good things, but at the end, how can we believe? You know, one of the things that happened to me when I was just beginning to follow Jesus, I was a teenager. I was in, my, in high school, and then when I went to college as well, is I had a lot of conversations with people about Christ. Even professors, I would talk to them as best as I could uh, about just, you know, different things and about what was happening in my life with Jesus, and, and on, I'll be honest with you, uh, there were times where that was really challenged by people. People would, would try to write it off and say, well, that's just, you know what, that's good for you, but, um, you know, that's your thing, it's okay, but, you know, that faith thing, man, it doesn't make sense to me, and, Jesus, and I would talk about, you know, we talk about Jesus rising from the dead, and, and people would go, ah, you know, man, I just, you know, I'm into more concrete stuff, and, and there was this, in, uh, there was a point where it, it was like, Lord, is this just about faith? Or, or, or what, you know? And I know, you re- I know you've touched my life. I know you've changed me. I've watched you just touch people in amazing ways. And, and then, you know, I started diving in more deeply. And one of the things I came to the conclusion of was particularly around the issue of the resurrection, ours is a very rational faith. It is faith, but it's extraordinarily rational. One of the things, and there were many different books that have been written even recently, that add to, the, to just making a case for Christ. Some of them are even called by that name. But one of the things that happened to me when I was just a young believer, just starting to grapple with this idea of a rational faith and the resurrection of Christ, I came across a book. It's a book that has since been amazingly popular. It, it, it's fat. It, it has, it's so small, so little, it had, over 10 million copies have been in print. It's called More Than a Carpenter. More Than a Carpenter was republished in 2005. And my son, my oldest son, making a joke, said, uh, Dad, you needed a new one because when you read this, there were only 900,000 of them in print. <laughs> Thank you, son. The point being that there's a lot more in print now. This book, though, profoundly affected me because one of the things it did, besides the cover itself, which is designed to, to ask a question or to present a case, he is more than a carpenter. The point being, and McDowell, Josh McDowell, who's the author, makes this splendid case where he says, look, And he quotes C.S. Lewis on this. Jesus, whatever he is, cannot simply be put in the category of a good man and a good teacher. That is the one option not available to us. Because he made claims to be something that was more than a man. He claimed to be Messiah, the son of man, the son of God. He claimed to give his life so that we might live. He claimed to rise. He claimed... Things that, no, you know what he says? He says, look, he, quote, he talks about C.S. Lewis's point that if Jesus uh, said the things he said and knew they weren't true, then he's just a liar. And, and whatever else he is, he's a liar. If Jesus said the things he said, which we know he said, then he's either a liar or who, who knew he wasn't telling the truth or he was a self-deceived lunatic who was genuinely misguided, well-intentioned, but crazy. The problem is, the teachings of Jesus, when applied, are so precisely designed to connect to the deepest issues of the human soul that they bring forth, wherever they're truly applied, such amazing health in the human being that they are anything but lunacy. He says, look, but here's the problem. Anybody who made the claims of Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or, as Lewis says, the Lord himself, worthy of our devotion. But we do not have the option of simply writing him off as a good teacher, one of many ways. Because you can't, you can't do that and actually look at what he said about himself and agree to that. It's almost like Jesus forces us to decide. But that wasn't the thing that really got me. Because actually what ended up happening is, and again, simple little book. What happened though, I remember how it profoundly it affected me because I was thinking about the resurrection of Christ and how everything depended on it. Paul says, you know, if Christ is not risen, then the faith, it doesn't mean anything. And there was this one chapter in, the, in, the little, in this little book. It was called, Who Would Die for a Lie? And in that chapter, it just, it hit me. It was so simple. But what he said was this. One of the most amazing, and he talks about many different reasons to have faith. Ultimately, faith is still faith. But he talks about how it's extraordinarily rational. He says, listen to this. He says, how do we explain what happened to the disciples? Because the historical record shows that they, they, they all died and were essentially martyred, suffered greatly for their confession of Jesus except John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. But he, every one of them died a very violent uh, death. Um, here's the deal. He makes the case, he says, look, how do we explain the transformation of the disciples from what we saw a few weeks back when we know that when they came for Jesus in the garden, they all ran. They were scared. They, 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 they fled. They were fearful. In fact, they're hiding. They're not even showing up at the cross. They're, they're afraid. They're, they, don't, they don't believe anything. You know, so it's just a whole thing is crumbling. And he says, how do we explain that these men who were so afraid all of a sudden go to the different places all over the known, known world in the East and, and ultimately out of their confession of Jesus as the risen Savior are willing to die for that. He makes a point, he says, look, it's one thing for people who are religiously fanatical to die for something that they believe is true. He says, but it never, it's so, (laughs) how do you explain it? He says that people would die for something that they knew wasn't true. And the point is this, they didn't like say, oh, we're confessing Christ, we get power, prestige, uh, blessings, and honor. What they got, he says, was death and intense suffering and the loss of the people they loved. And he goes, now, at different places, any of them having the opportunity to renounce what they had seen and witnessed and none of them refusing to do it, convinced without a doubt that they, had, they could place their entire life into the hands of the one that they had seen, as John says, with our own eyes and touched his own flesh, that they could say, we have seen the risen Christ. And, and for that testimony, they gave everything. Powerful. It's, again, a quite a testimony. In fact, I put this um, in the handout. This is from another writer named Albert Barnes. Just again, real quickly here. I think, I think it's, important, it's helpful to think about this. He says, he's talking about the disciples. He says, they were persecuted. They were ridiculed. They were scourged. And they were put to death for affirming this, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. Yet not one of them ever expressed the least doubt of his truth. They bore everything rather than to deny that they had seen him. They had no incentive. He says they had no motive in doing this, but the love of truth. They obtained no wealth, they obtained no honor, they obtained no pleasure. They gave themselves up to great and unparalleled sufferings, going from land to land, crossing almost every sea, enduring the dangers, toils and privations of almost every kind for the simple object of affirming everywhere that a savior died and rose. And if they knew it was an imposition, an untruth, if it had been, they would have known it, by the way. In what way is this remarkable conduct to be accounted for? Just one of the real testimonies of the reality of Christ's resurrection is the disciples themselves and the inexplicable transformation that occurs all over the fact that they said they saw the risen Savior. No earthly thing to gain from it, and they would have known if it wasn't true. Again, huge deal. Let's go back to the account in Matthew. Look with me at verse 16, and we'll watch the final words of Jesus. Here we go. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee. They went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. We don't know what that mountain was. We just knew it was a place that they recognized in Galilee that they had met before. They knew what it was. It says, When they saw him, they worshipped him. But look at that phrase. (laughs) The Bible throws in another real piece. But to be honest with you, some of them doubted. Still, he says, but Jesus came and he told his disciples, and these are his final words, condensed. So I want you to see three great things. They're often referred to as the great declaration, the great commission, and the great promise. Here they are, one, two, three, watch. Jesus came and he told his disciples, he said, look, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth by virtue of the fact that he has risen from the dead, that death can no longer hold him, that God has finished the purpose for which Jesus said he had come, that the son of man has come to give his life as a ransom for many, that he would give himself away so that we might live. As Jesus said, my entire purpose for coming was that others may live. That uh, God so loved this world that He gave, it, gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have the eternal, the undying life of Jesus now and forever overflowing. It is a promise rooted and anchored in Christ that life is the final word. He, look what he says, all authority is given. This is this great, great declaration. And then the Great Commission, in light of that reality, in light of this therefore because of this go and this is what I want you to do I want you to uh, build a community sequester yourself off from the rest of humanity you sit with the truth and hold it to yourself no one else gets to have it it's just for you not a chance that's not what he says he says the exact opposite he says this faith this message this truth it needs to be taken look what he says I want you to go and I want you to make disciples committed followers uh, disciplined ones, ones who are committing their lives to such a way of all the nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I teach the new disciples to obey the commands, the words that I have given you. And then we see the great promise. And it is a great promise. What is it? He said to them, listen, in his last I am, I am with you always, even to the end of the age which we know wasn't yesterday, by the way, <laughs> right? <laughs> I am with you always, even to the end. Whether it's the end of our life or the end of this world as we know it, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Uh, and again, we read these words. I want us to pause. From, he says, look at me. Look at me. Hear me. I will be with I am with you always. Ups and the downs. It it is awesome. Okay. Just because it's it's an easy way to open the drawers, I'll put some handles on it. Three things. Let's think about them as they propel us into the summer months. For a follower of Jesus, then we are given this amazing promise to embrace. That's the first thing. He gives everyone a promise to embrace. And what is that promise, loved ones? It is the promise of His presence that he will come to us and he will be with us. How beautiful that is to know that even in the places of life where it's really hard, he is there. In the places of life where it's easy to believe, he is there. In the places of tremendous joy and deep satisfaction and great celebration, I am with you. In the places of deep despair, when despair creates a mist like an impenetrable mist Upon you, I am there. In the places where everything makes sense, I am with you. In the places where nothing makes sense, or the question is very hard, I am with you. I am with you always, even unto the end. Listen, look at me. I am with you. I will be with you. This is a great promise. And one of the, one of the writers I, I read um, early on was a, a an old writer. He was an old preacher, old writer, who... Ha- Billy Graham actually identifies as someone who was extraordinarily meaningful to him as a pace-setter. And this man named Vance Havener, I just happened to get introduced to this writer at a certain point in my life when he was in his latter years, like in his 80s, and, and one of the books that profoundly affected me was a book that in which he, as this aged, really aged man, um, he, he was talking about this huge gaping wound in his life. Because he had lost the woman who he had walked with as his wife, so beautifully for a number of, for decades, and she died. And he, who had walked through all kinds of things, was he was being honest, how hard it was to lose her, for him. And he was being honest that even when he goes, I, I goes, Lord, there are moments I don't even, I, I'm wondering, are you with me? Where are you here? Am I forced to walk alone through this valley of the shadow of death? And then it's like there was this moment in that book where I just remember he like rallies himself. You could just feel him pulling his faith back in and he says, but I know you are. I know you are. He goes, just like the sun. The sun shines even when the clouds obscure it. I know it's still there and I know you're with me. Even though I may not see you, I know you're with me. Powerful confession powerful way of, of, of planting faith in the ground, saying, Lord, I trust you. Even when it's hard to see you, I know you're here with me. Powerful stuff, a promise to embrace. But more than a promise, more than I am with you always, even to the end, more than I am with you always, through the ups and downs of life, more than I am with you through the pain and the unfairness of life, more than all, there's also, we, we've been given something else. We've been given, uh, a, a, if, if you will, something, a goal that we are to pursue. I'll call it the second piece. And what is that goal? That goal is to become a person, a man or a woman, who is willing, listen, stay with me, who is willing to represent the heart of Jesus to people who don't know him. Jesus says, look, I need you to go into the nations, to go where the people are. I need you to tell them about who I am. I need you to help them become disciples. I need you to help introduce them to who I am. I need you to, I commit to you, the, the, this commission, I give you this, uh, this honor, I give you this privilege of representing my heart to people. Now, you go back to the title of our series. It's called Shine. Yes, we talked about that. But the other, what is the other phrase? What is it? It's sharing Jesus naturally. And you know what, it, you know what that implies? It, think about it for a moment. It was not just casually tacked on there. There's a reason. What, are, what is being said here? What do we think is being said in that phrase? Sharing Jesus naturally it has at least two significant meanings. One of them is this, that the natural byproduct of anybody who, who says we, they love the Lord, if we claim to love him, then the natural outflow of that is to share him with others. That that is a natural byproduct of commit, because he entrusts us with the responsibility of sharing him with others, with other people. That is like, it, to, to, what, when we love someone, we're not ashamed of them. When we love someone, and they've and they've touched our lives. We're not ashamed to say it. I love them. They are part of this is who a part of who I am. I will, and I am not ashamed of it. And again, more than ever, is needed for people to declare their love for Christ. In, in, and I'm gonna talk about this. But it's not only the natural thing to do if we are if we are in a relationship with the Lord, which He says if you if you are mine, then you take this and you tell and share it. You go and tell. But it's also, we believe, best done naturally, that the best way of sharing is when it's done authentically and naturally with the nations or the people that we are with and around. In other words, we're talking about being able to conversationally share Christ in the circles of our lives, that we are, we are convinced that the, the, one of the most powerful dynamics that exists is that when people who love the Lord, yes, we may not have our acts together completely. I get that all, we're imperfect. Sometimes it's out of the imperfection that, that honestly people can connect and relate, but we need to be okay with talking about Christ. And sometimes the most natural way of doing that is just to be real, to be honest. It's like, but I don't, I've heard people say, but I don't know how to say it. You know, I don't really have that gift. I don't know how to really talk about him. I would feel awkward about it. Or I hear people say, well, you know, my life, you know, it's, it's not quite together. And I I, go, okay. I get the fact that we got to work for alignment, I get that. I get that's why we challenge ourselves to live a, a more biblically based life, that we're trying to deal with this character stuff, that we're trying to, to be countercultural at some level in the way in which we conduct ourselves and the words that we speak. Even though we're immersed in a, in a culture that is telling us this is what what people look like, that there is something about allowing the the reality of Christ to inform the way in which we choose to build our lives and our personalities and the way we treat people and the way in which we speak our words. And so much of that is diet, it's what we allow into ourselves. And we gotta watch that, I get that. I get the idea of closing the gap between what we say we believe and how we live. And, And of course, nobody was more powerful than Jesus because there was no gap between what he said and what he lived, and therefore he had an authority that could pierce through any uh, human armor. But the more powerful um, uh, the congruity between what we say we believe and what we live, the more powerful the effect of our life is. So yes, we understand that. There is a value in in that. There's no question that, that people at times will say, well, what about this in your life? But here's the thing what we're talking about is sharing our story. And, and, and this is the last piece. We've been given not simply you know, this, this goal to pursue, but we've been given a commission. A commission that is to be received and it has to do with being open to shining out the reality of Jesus. And listen, we all have different gifts. We all have different dispositions, backgrounds, social networks. We all have different ways of sharing. What I'm suggesting is that God has designed you to be part of a great, great adventure. And that adventure means that he has people that he has set up in advance for your story of his reality to touch their lives. And that it will only happen when we are willing to step out of comfort zones and to reveal a heart that loves Christ. Being okay, telling our story, serving others in his name. Connect the dot. You know, let it be known that they're in, a, in yes, in sensitive ways, in discreet ways. I get it, in compassionate ways, in humble ways. But still, someone has to speak up. We have to be able to talk about him. Some of us have been too, you know, we talked a couple weeks back about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and how these two Pharisees were, were reluctant. Even though they greatly admired Jesus, they were reluctant because they, had, they didn't want to risk their social standing and be put into a box and written off as senseless. And I say, well, how relevant is that? Some of us operate in spheres uh, that where if we were to reveal too much where our heart is with Christ, it it could run the risk of being put into a category. Uh, and, And people make fun of people like that. But there are times where other people have to know about the Lord, and they're only going to know when people who have an honest, authentic love for Him are willing to open up their lives a little bit and share Him. It may be with a neighbor. It may be with a coworker, It may be with a family. I get, I understand. I don't know who. I know this. There are some people that only you, really, that God has given an amazing access to. And it may be a seed that has dropped, a small seed. Let us not despise small tellings. Listen. You do not know. None of us know when a seed will take root. Some of us are byproducts of a planting that somebody took a risk to drop a word of faith. You know I'm part of a church community. I'd love for you to come. Or yeah, you know, I, you know, this Jesus love me and talk about him? But he really has, really has. You know, I, I, he's changed my life. And and uh, or can I? You know, is it okay if I just? It's okay if I if I pray with you here on this. You do that? Yeah. Well, yeah. See, and again, it's small acts of courage in his name that create the openings that sometimes God has already got a heart that's so ready. Or maybe later on, that seed, we go, oh, nothing happened there. But later on, someone else comes and waters that seed, and we become part of a divine story. And some of us need to say, Lord, I'm open this day. If you have an appointment for me, if you have a person for me to talk to, to share a little bit about, to shine your light, To serve, but also to say, to serve and say, not just serve. To to be open to speaking of my love for you, not ashamed, not proud, not not crazy, but honest. Because if we do not speak, how will they know? We must do this. Shining is a privilege. You know why? Because we have been given a love story, a life story, and it's our story. And we've been called to share it. I can tell you where I found the water. This is a great place. You see what I'm saying? Okay, let's pray. All right, Lord, we, uh, we, I want to ask you, Lord, as we move into the days ahead, and we're going to be pushing into this, I want to pray that you would, you would stir our hearts. And even now, Lord, some of us, you know, we would, we would, we're before you, we would say, Lord, I, I have been too ashamed of you. I, I have been reluctant for whatever the reason, whether it's because I'm ashamed or whether because I feel like, Lord, I would be put into a box and, 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 and yet I love you. Maybe like, a lot like Peter, we feel, Lord, you know I love you. And, you. and you say back, feed my sheep, speak for me, touch people for me. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives beyond ourselves, that we would be open to this great commission of sharing who you are with others and sharing how you've touched our lives and, and how you've made a difference, and that we would be open to these, these divine appointments, these serendipitous moments, where you're working on both ends, and that little connection takes place, and the seed is dropped, and the light shines, and the goodness of God is given a chance to grow something, maybe 30, 60, 100-fold, maybe think something we'll never know or see, but changes people's lives. I, I suspect many of us are byproducts of the lives that were touched by somebody else who was willing to drop a seed or pray a prayer or be a blessing or speak your name, and those people affected our lives. May we be part of this great story, that intricate way in which you work to touch the hearts of people. Maybe now more than ever, you need us to be courageous, loving, humble, but still unashamed. So I pray for your blessing. I pray that you you just speak to us about these things in this week, and perhaps in the weeks ahead, and as we hear the stories of others interacting with this theme that would inspire us even more so through this entire summer, that we would be a people who shine in so many ways, but also with our words on your behalf. We ask this, Lord, bless our, our closing time, uh, bless our time of giving. Thank you for faithfulness in this end, of, Lord, but also the song which has got passion and intensity and is a reminder of the things that we've spoken of. So we just ask for your blessing in these closing minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.